Welcome back to another episode of The Authors Unite Show. Here's your host, Tyler Wagner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Authors Unite Show. Today, I got Kyle Sondland with us. He's the founding partner of Security Token Group. So welcome to the show, man. Thanks a lot for having me, Tyler. Of course, man. So, dude. Let's get real, real quick. We're in Aventura, Florida, right next to GC, Uncle G. And uh, honestly, what we just talked about for like an hour before we should have hit record. <laughs> so let's see if we can bring some of it back. We had a good conversation. <laughs> I'm ready to dig into it, though. I don't know yeah. where you want to start. Um, I think I want to start with first, how did you end up in, uh, you're in Brickell specifically. Um, I won't give the exact address, <laughs> but how did you end up uh, in Florida? It's a great question. I'm from Philly. We're both yeah. Northeastern boys, both from Philadelphia, St. Doylestown. Actually, we both are. Yeah. And uh, I actually came to, to Miami for college. I went to University of Miami down here. The, the idea behind that was that I wanted to get totally out of the Northeast, go I somewhere new. You. I also like the idea, you know, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and I was looking at, you know, hubs for entrepreneurship. You've got San Francisco and New York are the two, I think, main yeah. ones here in, in the States. But for me, I looked at Miami and saw all of this tremendous wealth, all this opportunity, and a great standard of living and an awesome mm -hmm. location. And that's exactly what you're looking for as entrepreneurs, untapped potential. There's an opportunity to build your own brand in a space that, that hasn't been developed yet, but you can see is ripe with opportunity. And so that really excited me to do Miami. And I went to school there for four years, graduated, and, and I'm still here now, six or seven years, and uh, I love it. It's yeah. Time. Dude, that's, the, that's what I kind of realized when I came from California to here, because me, me and you had a similar mindset, like wanting to leave. For me, it was the cold. Like, I was just like, I actually loved Doylestown, but like the six months out of the year, man, I was like, I don't want to leave my house. Like, you know, was like, this sucks. <laughs> like, the sun. The, yeah. It's, just yeah, it's, I chose South Carolina, which I knew nothing about, you know, and uh, some parts of that I love some parts, you know, just a little different uh, way of living, but either way. Um, but then San Diego, I was I was at and then I came to uh, South Beach to visit for a week. And I actually I just had like the apartments app or, or whatever up and I started to look at apartments and I was like, dude, you can live like a penthouse lifestyle here for like one tenth of the price, like at least where I was at in San Diego. And I was like, dude, why am I like struggling in San Diego when I can prosper in Miami? <laughs> like, this is Everyone crazy. Everyone looks at the Miami lifestyle and thinks yeah. that like you have to be some crazy oh, yeah. baller, but yep. really we're just living a less expensive <laughs> lifestyle yeah. and just a whole lot better than everybody else. Like what I'm paying is yeah. what you get for a shoebox in New York and I've got yep. a fantastic view and yeah, you know, the balcony. Rises, I've got the ocean view. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. And it's right in the middle of the city. So it's, I can't complain at all. I know. I always don't want people to know because it's going to drive our prices up down here but it's yeah, like yeah. it's true because it is uh it, it's just like that like most people when they think of miami they don't think i can live there they think oh vacation there once a year or whenever but um dude it's very livable and i think it's growing man like the brickle area especially um and entrepreneurially um i'm starting to connect with more and more people around here it's it's not all party Absolutely. Is what I'm a lot of a lot of companies are actually moving down here. A lot of fund managers, a lot of a lot of investment bankers and, and the like yeah. are starting to come down to Florida, not only because it's great weather and everything, but especially with technology, it, you don't quite have to be on location anymore to yeah. be productive. 
right? Yep. You can open, you can do most of your calls or most of your meetings through phone or through Zoom or Skype or whatever. And even with Miami, it's a three hour flight to New York. So I, I've done the yeah. 7 a.m. flight to New York, get there by 10 and you're there for your meeting at 11. Like it's not a huge deal anyway. Yep. So why wouldn't you want to live in a place that's a whole lot better? And I, I totally agree. It's our <laughs> hidden gem. That's what, that's what I like. It is. Yeah. So everybody listening now, you'll be flooding to Miami, but that's, <laughs> come on down. we, we don't need any more floods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but don't flood down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us more. What is security token group? So security token group is, uh, is a financial firm. We, we work with kind of the intersection between private securities and a lot of the blockchain technology that you may or may not be familiar with. And you may have mm. heard that term before blockchain, but essentially what we're doing is we're trying to take traditional assets and make it much easier for people to invest in them, for people to trade mm. them and, and exchange those between parties and, and to provide value for, for anyone around the world. And so, you know, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about cryptocurrencies and all these things that are essentially digital currencies or digital money and, and a lot of people that aren't familiar with this whole space the first question that i always get asked is you know what's the value of it or, or what okay you, i may have asked you that yeah, now, i remember the, the, when we met that day i was just like i'm gonna pick his brain on this because i don't get it yeah no i, I i'm <laughs> yeah. going to i've had family gatherings where i'll talk for 90 minutes explaining to people how that stuff works i'm not here to do that today yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. if you if you just kind of take that same concept of having a digital representation of something yeah what we're trying to do is take traditional assets and and apply that same technology to them to make it a whole lot easier for all of these traditional transactions to happen and it's mm -hmm. not that hard of a logical jump to go from you know if you invest in stocks or if you purchase something like that online today it's not like you're getting a physical paper certificate saying you, know, yeah. you own one share of Apple. No, you're buying it on TD Ameritrade and your, or wherever brokerage firm you want to use. Mm -hmm. And they're owning it on your behalf. And all you're getting is just a, a one in your account that says you, know, you own that one share. Um, but there's still all of these analog pieces along the way that all these firms have to deal with that just are expensive and slow. And so we're looking to kind of optimize that for, for, the new age of technology. And this yeah. is especially relevant when we're talking about global markets. So like today, people are using, you know, people love Facebook, but people also love TikTok, right? TikTok mm. is a Chinese app. Oh yeah, we you haven't talked about that. You don't really care <laughs> about whether TikTok is <laughs> from the US or from China or wherever it was developed, right? You just care about whether it, it functions in the way that you want it to act, yeah. right? It doesn't matter to you where it's from. But let's say TikTok was a public company if it was on the Chinese stock market, it would be a whole lot more difficult for you as a American citizen to actually purchase or invest in that company because mm. of the fact that regional markets are still very difficult for, to participate in as somebody from the outside. And this is most relevant for the US because everybody wants to invest in the US stock market because it's the largest market in the world and, and performs very well all of our largest tech companies in the world are also on the US markets. And mm -hmm. a lot of international investors aren't able to get access to those investments solely because of the fact that the friction of them participating is too high. Ah, okay. And so yeah. what we're trying to do is kind of make a system that everyone can participate in that wasn't really possible without the advent of technology so that we could be sure that everyone had the same standards for what 
constituted a security, what constituted these assets, the same standards of regulation. There's a lot of compliance in terms of who can invest and who can participate yeah. and, and all of these different standards that we need to set that we can't really rely on from an analog standard. We needed that kind of tech layer. And yeah. that's what we're helping to facilitate and build around the world. God. So I'm curious, like with it's a big, uh, it's a big thing to tackle, right? So like, why and i feel like you kind of gave the answer there of like why because i mean it's a good thing to tackle um but what makes you like so passionate about it and like when did you realize that like this is like what i want to do you know because to me it's like it's i actually do see like you explain that really well but it seems pretty technical so for somebody like myself like i would run from that (laughs) i'd be like i'll let you know i'll let the calculus people deal with that or something so either way like what is it what do you like enjoy about it? I suppose. I love, I was, I, I started in, in wealth management, investing in stocks. Mm. That was, I, I've always been an entrepreneur, but I wanted to learn about how small businesses that I had started in high school and college could scale to the size of a, a publicly yeah. traded company because those things are very different, right? Managing a lawn care business that I did in, in sure. high school is not quite the same as, as you know, JP Morgan, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I started investing in stocks as a way to, to start to learn about how these businesses work because I felt that there was some skin in the game in, in that regard. And by putting money into it, I felt like much more responsible to learn about learn the company about, yeah. and, and watch it as it progressed to see how market factors would affect, or global factors rather, would affect its market performance. And so I really got interested in, in investing in stocks, started to do a lot of tech stuff. And I was interested in tech because I understood it in a way that, that most of the traditional industry didn't, right? I think that that's one of the biggest advantages of, of the young people of any generation is that they have their mm. finger on the pulse of what will be adopted in the future because that's all they know. They don't have anything to hold on to in terms of bias. Yeah. And so when I was moving forward in, in my investing escapades if you will yeah i uh i stumbled upon upon the whole crypto scene which for me i, I wasn't as much interested in investing but i was interested in the, in the underlying technologies and and i i loved the fact that i was kind of intersecting between finance and technology it wasn't just building websites yeah but, and it wasn't just investing in stocks it was how can we make the financial industry more efficient and and more productive and for me that was kind of an opportunity for me to establish myself in a space that was so nascent at the time that I could be an expert without having to dedicate 30 or 40 years in the investment banking industry or without investing mm. 30 or 40 years in, in coding and tech development by, by really understanding front and back the regulations that need to be adhered to, the compliance standards, how the, the governance works on a technological level and how the financial assets are settled and transacted I could learn a lot of those things quickly because mm-hmm. it was and build upon those things and build the future instead of having to dedicate my whole life before getting to that expert level. So I kind of just saw the opportunity to jump yeah. in early and really immerse myself in a space when no one else was as a way to establish myself in a new industry. And that's kind of what I was really passionate about. And since then, I really love the fact that, that w- what we're building and what my whole industry is building is underpinning how you know trillions of dollars of assets will will change hands on a yearly basis or, or potentially monthly or weekly or, or even yeah. daily at some point so 
Yeah, that's, that's amazing, man. Because I think most people, and I'll even say myself included, because I didn't really understand what it all was at first. To me, I had just heard like a story of, you know, one guys were buying Bitcoin at like 17 cents and then it went up to $300 or, you know, I was hearing stories like that. I was like, well, I got some cash laying around. Let me try this thing, you know? <laughs> and then, so, but it was all, it wasn't for like the, I guess the goodness of what the technology can do. It was profit, right? I was like, if I put money in uh, at $600 on Bitcoin and it goes up, then, you know, and it was extremely volatile. It was kind of fun. And then for me, it just got to a point where it was almost taking over my life. I kept watching, uh, what's it called now? GDAX, I think. I was watching GDAX all day long. I would, I would be like doing my normal work. And then on the other side, I'd be like, Peeking over. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, we just went up a gram. We went down a gram. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, just recently, I was telling you before we hit record, you know, the smart contracts and, and actually just learning like, um, how it can benefit a lot of people, like as far as I know, and I don't know everything about this, but the whole thing that's going on in Venezuela right now, this stuff can help with that dramatically. Um, you know, so I don't know if you have anything on that in particular, but it's, um, but that to me, then I, then I started to realize, okay, this is actually not just like a uh, get rich quick type of thing. This is actually going to change the landscape of how we, a global economy, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's so, fascinating. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that that Bitcoin is a great use case in terms of demonstrating the value of having something that you don't need to rely on a centralized party to manage. Yeah, I think that that's the the best summary of what Bitcoin is mm -hmm. is that we we have something that's backed by our technological progress because the way that that the Bitcoin is managed is through mining which essentially is just leasing out your computing power of your computer mm -hmm. and getting paid for it in in mining these blocks they're essentially just confirming transactions that's all yeah. you're doing and so really with bitcoin it was valuable and it's a valuable use case because we're saying look we know this thing has value independent of what anybody else wants it's got a fixed supply and we know it's backed by the best computers we can because people are incentivized directly to mine because the more you mine, the more Bitcoins you get. And so the more profitable it is. Yeah. And so it's consistently our strongest computers are verifying and securing this network of a fixed supply of something. And so I think it's important to detach yourself from the USD price of it sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah. very difficult because for we sure. all like profit. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's an interesting use case because, the, you know, for all the, the hacks and stuff that, that you see of, of, centralized parties all around the world the bitcoin network has never been hacked it's mm -hmm. never been hacked it's never been shut down it's been running a hundred percent flawlessly for over 10 years now and you don't need to rely on anyone to say it's worth anything you just know that hey it's, it's worth what it's worth but it, yeah. it won't be diluted right i mean you see in in the u.s economic policy these days the, the fed is inaudible so you can't audit the fed and see how much money they're printing or see what they're standards mm -hmm. are for all of those pieces and that's demonstrated in the fact that the u.s dollar has lost a significant amount of purchasing power over the last hundred years right yeah. we've all seen it right in 1905 you could go to a movie for five cents right why do you think that is well it's because we've been printing so much money yeah that now 25 cents is now not worth 25 cents anymore now it's worth you know a dollar is worth the same amount of purchasing power 
Yeah. And so you're losing that value by keeping your money in a bank account because the supply is just increasing, increasing, increasing. And so as that increases, then your specific dollar loses value. So I don't know. I think that, that we're trying to apply that same technology in a, in a slightly different way, but but it, the whole industry is it's fascinating. It's very, very fascinating. Yeah, man. And the movie industry is too, because I was just, have you ever heard of iPick? No. Okay. No. So there's, there's one near here, dude. It's kind of like, um, you know, in the Brickle city center, there's yeah, that movie. CMX? Yeah. CMX. Yeah. Okay. So it's even like nicer than that, cool. dude. And it's like, uh, I think it's like 30, $40 a ticket. <laughs> and like, it's just wild. It's dude. crazy. And that's just yeah. going to keep going. It's yeah. Keep going that way. Everything. I mean, <laughs> look at the stock market. We now have $4 trillion companies in, in the stock market and, We've never had a trillion dollar company before. And this year yeah. we now have four trillion dollar companies that have broken that mark and, and the stock market just keeps going up and up and up, which is is nice, but it does sometimes call for slight concern because it's like, you know, is this is is the market really growing at this scale or is our money just less valuable? And so mm -hmm. people have more money to spend, so they're just shelling it out on these stocks. The prices are going up, but is the value going up or is it just the price that's increasing? And that's kind of yeah. something that we need to actively monitor because, you know, I, I could go into this forever, but, yeah, but yeah. you know, monetary policy is, is a very fickle game. And, and uh, I think the whole world's printing a lot of money. Okay. And, and that's one of the only ways that we can prevent against the depression. So if there is kind of a, a slowdown in the market, yeah, we're our, we're kind of using our only steroid shot. We've been yeah. using that since 2008 and haven't turned it off. And so if God, no, this is good. I mean, a lot of people keep talking about they think a big downfall is going to happen soon, but who knows? It's I mean, fascinating. I don't it's know. Hard to say. I guess if you did know, you'd be say. really well off. <laughs> I think that everyone is the interesting thing this time around that we haven't seen, and I think in the markets before is yeah. that since we're so connected on a global level no one wants to let that happen no, by nobody. I mean, no government, which yeah. really has the power to impact the, yeah. the global economy. And you or I don't have the yeah. ability <laughs> to do that. Right? But you know, in, in the great depression, for example, that was the U S's fault. Oh, interesting. But okay. it caused rippling effects for everyone else. Okay. Because when our economy had issues, then we, a lot of other countries relied on us. Yeah. But the fact that we're so connected, we're printing a lot of money, but so is everybody else. And we're all just kind of jacking it up in a yeah. way that like, I, I don't know if it's going to crash at this time. It's, it's almost okay. like, it's almost just like everybody won't let it stop. They're just going to keep adding gas to the fire and, yeah. and, and you can't run out of gas when you have a printer. Yeah. <laughs> like the, in terms of money, you can just print as much as you want. So yeah. at some point, at some point people will get frustrated, I guess, but for now it's, it's hanging in there, but yeah, that's again the value of, of something like a Bitcoin is just the fact that yeah. nobody can control that, and it's just, hey, our computers are verifying this thing, and it's almost the best investment you can make in our technology as opposed to on someone else to manage your money for you. Okay, so so yeah, that kind of leads to the next question: is like, how would you diversify your like portfolio? I guess I, maybe it's different for everybody. I don't know, but like, would you put? like 20% into uh, like crypto stuff or would you, and this is these terms, <laughs> do you, you, obviously you got to keep some USD cash. Um, 
so like where what would you recommend anything or is it just different person by person i think i you, you, it definitely depends on your risk profile and okay. what you're willing to take on okay um, but there's a lot of literature on how bitcoin is is one of the best assets for what's called non-correlation okay and so your correlation coefficient is in when you're investing is looking at how much two assets are tied together and so as one performs in a direction how much does the second asset mirror that performance yeah right? so if one goes up by 20 percent and the other one goes up by 20 percent, they're probably very highly correlated yep if you're diversifying your portfolio of your assets you want to minimize your correlation because okay. you don't want to go up and down as, as one performs well Yep, one performs poorly you don't want to be at risk for your, your whole portfolio to perform poorly and lose all of your money right you don't want to be over leveraged yeah and so it's crucial to find a correlation coefficient that's low because then you're just investing in assets that you think are going to increase but they're all going to increase for different reasons and then you're protected in case some got it aren't good right that's that's the whole point of diversity yeah, yeah. and so bitcoin is one of those things that that historically has performed totally totally sporadically compared to the stock market. Like sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, irrelevant of how the stock market performs. And you can run statistical tests on that yeah. and see that, that it really doesn't seem to change by any measurable way based on how the stock market performs. It just performs differently. It, it yeah. follows its own path. And so I think that just for that reason alone, aside from everything else, there's value in having some Bitcoin in your portfolio just because it's non-correlated, right? To have any non-correlated assets in your portfolio that have had a historical track record like Bitcoin has, which where it started at yeah, cents yeah. on the dollar and is now at $10,000, yeah. regardless of its, of its up and down performance in any given time, it's been $10,000 now for two years. It's held that price in, in the two year period. So to have a non-correlated asset in your portfolio is valuable. Um, Good. The, the, yeah. Distribution, I definitely think depends, and, and this is not financial advice. By oh yeah, yeah, I wonder. I, I know there's but, things uh, that I don't know about. So yeah, but I, I think that it's interesting yeah. to take a look at it from different perspectives in that regard, and um, you know, it's, it's important to have some and in, in potentially short-term things like like bonds and things like that to have a bond ladder that'll give you some cash over time. Yeah, potentially to have some some in equities because they've been performing so well, um, and then you know to, to find your ways to be non-correlated as well is important. Dude, I, that was, uh, I've never heard it explained like that. That makes a lot of sense. So let's just say you didn't want to even go into that. If you just wanted to stay with stocks, then you wouldn't want to like go into all these stocks that are, you know, moving at the same kind of, in the same ways, exactly. because then you might as well just put your money all in the one stock. Buying Tesla, Netflix, yeah. and you know. They, those correlate. They're they're all tech stocks. Right? Okay, got so it, got it. Yeah. Kind of a basket of correlated assets. You would might want to have some in Ford, you know, a, yeah. a, or Johnson and Johnson, or yep. some of these more traditional businesses that maybe pay dividends that aren't necessarily going to go up by a hundred percent in a year, but are going to pay you consistent cash because they're a business that's been existing for a hundred years or something like that. That would be something that's much less correlated to Amazon than yeah. let's say you know Tesla is, right? So Got that's it. diversification. You want to bring that correlation coefficient down, yeah. but you want to find a balance between the return, right? You don't want to necessarily just go with everything that's, that's really safe and easy for sure. But yeah. you want to try to put some in different baskets. So yeah. that you don't, you're not screwed if 
one specific sector struggles at any given time. Yeah, dude, I, I don't know about the people listening, but for me, this is actually huge because when I thought of diversification, I just thought like just different companies. So I would have been honestly the guy that would have been like, you know, Netflix, Tesla, different. <laughs> like right. they are called different things. But what you're saying makes like you actually have to do that analysis and like look like, okay, well, every time Netflix goes down, Tesla goes down. So they're kind of similar in that respect. Um, the easiest way to do it would just be to look at just to look at you know the industry. You know, okay. You know, if you're if you're somebody that isn't super interested in researching financial yeah. assets and, and not on my top time, of right? to do not things. on the top of your list. <laughs> yeah. But if you're looking to invest or have some of your money in in stocks, which I, I you know you yeah. may be interested in doing, I think you just just look at yourself, look at the asset, and say what what industry is it. And if it's, if it's a tech company, then that's, that's kind of a basket. And if it's a automotive company, that's a basket. And if it's a consumer products business, that's a basket. And they're likely not, they're pro, they're likely much more correlated in each basket than each basket is to each other. Right. So try to have yeah. some in a bunch of different industries or, or whatever the word might be for that, but a bunch of different categories of investments, find some, some safe investments, find some, you know, the tech stocks are likely more risky, right? So they're going to be a risk reward there. Of They're likely going to perform better potentially over the next X period, but they also have more risk of, of not performing well as well. So you want to kind of get some in, in a healthy mix. Okay. Well. Got it. Okay. I feel better about next moves. Yeah. Um, so one thing you said earlier that I wanted to touch back on is that you said, I think you said you've always been an entrepreneur. So like what, when you were younger, like, are your parents entrepreneurs or like, what was your first, did you have a business in your teens or like, what was, what were you doing when you were younger? I, I definitely get a lot of, of drive from, you know, I had a great upbringing. My, my parents are fantastic people. My, my yeah. mom is, is incredibly creative and always, you know, been, been one to, innovate in, in everything yeah. that she does. And, and so I got a lot of that creativity and I got, I got so much hard work and determination and kind of the logical side from, from my father, who's, who's just, yeah. just a beast. And, uh, and so I, I was always just trying to do things differently. Like when I was, when I was in school, I was always frustrated by the rigidity of the schedule and, and all <laughs> that. I just knew that that wasn't for me. And I wanted to find new ways to, to stimulate myself. So yeah, I, you know, I, I had a lot of different small little businesses. I didn't have anything that was, you know, I wasn't a 14 year old kid with a, you know, yeah. I wasn't in the Forbes article. You know, yeah, yeah. Kid <laughs> runs crazy. Very few of those. Right. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was always reselling shoes, building my brand that way and doing, I would always do like you know, shoe reviews on YouTube and then try to use oh, that cool. my marketing pitch to sell it on eBay and flip them or, or I had a, uh, you know, lawn care company where I was doing all kinds of mowing lawns for people in the neighborhood and, and, and figuring that stuff out. And, and, uh, and then I got into the stocks and started managing a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the investment there. And that's kind yeah. of where I started. And then in college, I think was really where I started to turn it on is when I was at university of Miami, I joined a consulting organization called the Launchpad. Okay. And Launchpad is, is a, is a organization through the university of Miami that works with students, faculty, alumni, and staff for free business consulting on their startups. It's focused on startups and entrepreneurship. Okay. And so I started working there as a consultant where I would sit down with students, faculty, alumni, and staff and walk through their business with them from 
ranging awesome. from literally anywhere. People sometimes would come in with an idea on a napkin and be like, here's my idea. What are my next steps? And yeah. I have to help them figure out, okay, well, you have your idea. You need to do some research. You need to figure out who are the competitors in the space. You need to figure out how you're going to, to offer a different service, X, Y, Z. Or you get people that are in the, you know, the product stage that are, that are like, where do I find a manufacturer? How can I you know, find a team to help me build out my website? All the way through until I actually had a client where I helped him negotiate a successful exit of his business. And it was like, he was getting called by a company that was interested in purchasing his, his company and, and he needed to figure out what those next steps would be. Yeah. So throughout my time there, I worked there for, for I think two or three years. I had, I consulted with 50 or a hundred businesses at all different stages of the life cycle. Of That's startup. fun, man. And that so sounds fun to me. It's fantastic. Yeah. The, the running joke there is that it's always, it's, it's just as much about building the consultants as it is about building the businesses because yeah, yeah. all of the consultants that came out of the launch pad and continue to come out of the launch pad are just yeah. like fanatics about this stuff. And just, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it really is a process, right? Like to start a company, it's, you follow a pretty similar pattern. You apply it differently based off the industry or what you're providing. Yeah. But it's not, it's, it's, it really is a kind of a similar formula in terms of finding out the market, finding out who's involved and finding out, you know, where your niche could be. There's definitely pieces of innovation there, but a lot of it's just hard work and determination. And, and so after working there for so long, it really kind of honed those skills. And uh, from there, I actually have, have become very close friends with, with, some people out of the launch pad and, and one of them is actually my co-founder at security group. So, Oh, uh, there you go. Both launch pad guys. And, and, uh, we, we love doing what we do. See, I, and I think, um, and I'm not asking you to say anything negative about your university, but I think that's the biggest benefit. Like for me, and I, I dropped out of mine, but it was the people I met there. So I don't regret that I went to college. Um, I don't feel like the classes really taught me much personally, but like the people that I met led me actually to the direction to read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, which then after reading that book, I dropped out of school and then I actually got to meet Tim Ferriss and then later led me to writing a book and starting my company. So either way, it's like in my mind, I'm like, if I remove college, then maybe I wouldn't have gotten to the four hour work week until later or something. So I don't regret it, but um, it's interesting because I think the value for you more again was the people I, I would guess. Absolutely. And the launch pad, which again was the people involved. Yeah, no, it was a great organization, yeah. but I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I was taking night classes by the end of school just to get yeah. through it working during the day and then taking my night classes at night, which was a hoot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh I, I was exactly the same way. I, I knew that going in. I think that the, the biggest lesson that I learned was, you know, in life, there's sometimes there's just stuff that you got to do and yeah. you got to push through it. And, and For sure. you know, when I look at my day to day now, there's monotony that I need to get through that I don't really want to do. And yeah. I look at myself and I say, look, you know, you got to just do it. And you got through school. That was a terrible time for me just because I didn't want to do that. I didn't want <laughs> yeah. to be there. I just wanted to work in my companies all day and, and do the things I was interested in. But I learned the discipline to force myself to get through things. You for know, sure. part of being an adult is, is dropping your kids off at soccer practice, whether you want to go or not. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, so learning yeah. that lesson, I think was important for me because at the time I was very like steadfast and saying like, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do what I want to do and screw <laughs> yeah. everything else. And, and, learning the skills of, of being disciplined, I think was, was also a, a big lesson there. Yeah. Uh, for me, for me, it was lots of Adderall. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs>
<laughs> which I do not recommend. <laughs> I hate Adderall personally, but, um, but for me, cause you know, for me, the lesson was this too, is it was like, I, like I, the classes that I hated is the ones is the reason why I thought I needed Adderall because I just was, I couldn't focus. Like accounting was one of my classes don't, don't get me started. And, and I freaking hated it. Like I was like, this is terrible. And I could not have honestly gotten through it. I mean, that's kind of a limiting belief. Like I probably could have done it, but like I would try so hard with the textbook and I would just pass out. I like, worked I, my way through that class for sure. Yeah. I was like, dude, this is, I don't, I don't know how people are focusing looking at this. This is like terrible. This is Chinese. Like, and Chinese to me is nothing because I can't read it, you know? So it's like, I don't get it. But, um, but then, you know, once you start to do something you like, like this podcast, you know, I can go all day long on this. So, you know, I think I wish the school system would be, uh, harp a little bit more on that and like start to realize who you are as a person and then kind of steer you in the direction. Because I, I remember actually um, at CB West High School, I was uh, in my guidance counselor's office uh, when we were talking about colleges, which I, if I remember, I think I was like 11th grade is when it, it really starts to you know, yeah. pick up when you talk about that. And they basically were just like, look, your GPA is this. I think it was like a three two or something i can't remember three two and here's the top colleges you can get into based on that gpa and all your other things that you do and university of south carolina was the top one and they were like if you get accepted to this one then you should go and, but that's all it was based off of it had nothing to do with like anything yeah, that i liked or... yeah yeah it was just like this is the best college that you can get into at your rate or whatever. And um, to me, that is so backwards. It's like, I should have gone to like a fucking comedy school or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like, not that I'm, I'm just, I'm a people person. Like, I should have gone to a school where it was like communications or something. And instead, oddly enough, my major was accounting when I went into school. And that's not me, dude. <laughs> that ain't me. Good thing you got out of that. Yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, it's an interesting comparison because. I was fascinated by a school like Babson, which okay. is yeah, what is small it's okay. in Boston. Yeah, but they've got like three majors, and it's, oh, okay. it's business. It's business yeah. and entrepreneurship. It's pretty much all they do. Yeah, and I was very interested because I I've always played around with that idea of like maybe not starting a school because I don't think I'd really want to get into education. But I love the idea of having like very specialized schools for what you do, almost vocational mm. schools, but just for on a much broader spectrum for different things that people want to do that can really help you develop yeah. yourself in a much more applicable way. But we keep going back to the value of people. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think Babson had 700 people total in the school or something like that. Mm. I, if you go to Babson or, you know, Babson, <laughs> yeah. I'm wrong numbers here. I don't mean to be roasted. Unlikely. I love <laughs> yeah. the school. It was very, yeah. very cool. Um, but for me, it was like, I need to go somewhere where I can meet a lot of people and, and socialize and build that side of it. So it's, it's kind of a tough yeah. push and pull because on one side, it's like, yeah, we could build something that's more focused on developing the person business wise or not business-wise, but just in whatever their yeah. passions are industry-wise on a more, more dedicated level, mm. but it's going to be a whole lot smaller and, and much more, much less flexible in terms of being able to just bounce True. around and meet. Like I loved, I loved socializing and talking with kids in pre-med or, or in, that were engineers and, and learning about how they look at problems and, and, and just talking to them about 
just what their day-to-day was like because it was yeah. so different than mine oh i know i actually remember that dude. i still i still do i love going on. i love just talking to people about what they're interested in and hearing about the dirty details about their yeah. industry and the specifics because i think it's fascinating how deep every industry is right like you're yeah. talking about we're, we're going into finance here but yeah you have the exact same expertise on so many different things that i, yeah. I think would be fascinating to just go into for you and me for in, sure in terms of of how you've built your business and, and what the nuances are there because there's just it's there's infinite yeah and i remember those pre-med people man they they work i think they worked harder than us i, I do i remember yeah. Yeah. like they would tell me how much uh i if i'm remembering correctly there was a few girl girls i knew in the nursing school or something i think it was pre-med yeah. or something yeah. and like dude they were working all of the time like all the time. I was like, you never have free time. <laughs> it's just reading and studying and memorizing yeah. Like yeah. the worst things. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, dude, I got like a freaking fraternity thing tonight or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, but uh, God bless you. <laughs> I yeah. love it. We need you. <laughs> yeah. We need you. Look, I, I, yeah, I thought you, I really need you. <laughs> yeah, um, so I want to, well, actually, there's two questions in my mind. So, first one, because I was I brought up the four hour work week. Is there a book that like really impacted you? Um, I'm sure you know you've read multiple books, obviously, but like, is there one that really sticks out for me? It's the four hour work week. I think on the line of discipline, The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. Oh, I have it, haven't finished it yet. You'd like got it, okay? Probably it's, it's, why yeah. I haven't finished it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, Ben Graham is is famously successful in, in the stock market mm-hmm. and was kind of, he taught a lot of Warren Buffett about what Buffett. That's know. how I found out about it actually. Yeah. And um, I read that in high school and that was a huge catalyst for me to learn about how markets work and how just how to evaluate companies and businesses Yeah, because he harps all about book value and book value is really just the idea of like what, what is this thing worth without all the frills or like the future value of what it could be? What is it worth right now in terms of like the factories that you own and the product the inventory you have and the, the cash on hand and, and the employees, what is that specifically worth? Mm-hmm. And he would always focus on that. And I think in the 1940s and fifties, it was, because there was less technology, there was more opportunities to buy things that were below book value. Yeah. Um, and then he would buy things below book value. It was essentially a risk-free purchase because he knew that if things shut down, he could actually sell it for m- the, the parts <laughs> for more than, yeah. than what the tr- was trading at. Uh, today, I think that there's probably less opportunity for that, but it's really the foundation of how I evaluate not only assets, but just anything in life. Like, yeah it's easy to allow your expectations or your hopes to either inflate or your deflate anything yeah. in terms of, of affecting how you, how it really seems to be valued. And so now you, now when I kind of look at life through the lens of the book value, it's like, look, this is the minimum that I'm going to get. And then everything else is just an added bonus. And so yeah. I kind of look, I try to approach my life that way, which allows me to see things much more positively because I kind of know what I'm getting into, right? I know I'm going to this event. There's going to be 10 people there. And I'll be able to talk to some people and meet them. Yeah. And if I happen to, to really kick it off with somebody or the event goes great or, or X, Y, or Z, that's all added bonus instead of coming in with some you know, pre-expected notions. Um, so I love that book because I've just, 
it, it certainly has no it he doesn't talk really at all about applying it to life at all that that's really yeah. something that i took from it that was separate yeah. from the content of the book but i think it really shaped me at a very formative time in my life to to kind of really look at life positively and it helped me with you know, especially in my industry with a lot of these cryptos, as you've mentioned, yeah. don't have any <laughs> book value. And so that was kind of my foray into the space was honestly being a skeptic and, and talking to people about how we can actually try to build book value in these things, which is kind of how I transitioned into the security yeah. stuff and, and stocks with leveraging. Yeah, man. So. Dude, that's so I got to read that now. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's a little dry, you're saying? It's definitely of? long. Okay. It's, it's long. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but he's got a lot of wisdom and it's just, it's cool to, it's cool to kind of look in a window. Yeah. Into them. A lot has changed since then. So there's a lot. I would read the revised edition where there's some additional passages that try to kind of make okay. corrections now that some of the things are kind of dated. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's fascinating to see those are kind of really the building blocks of, what we know of of the markets yeah. and, and so to to read his perspective is fascinating and to see how it's impacted not only how successful he was but how successful warren buffett is yeah to, to take any yeah it's definitely that. working <laughs> it's clearly working yeah so <laughs> buffett followed the same strategy his whole career has been so successful with it so yeah if there's anybody that you're gonna want to learn from it's, it's that strategy <laughs> yeah it's a good strategy so i'm gonna get on that and I, I love one of the things that you said is how you kind of applied it to other parts of your life because one of my good friends he's actually from the philadelphia area nice. his, his go birds. J, yeah go birds <laughs> <laughs> his name is uh, jay duran okay um and we did his book it's called 30 days of thought and one of the things that he taught me, because this was, I met him like three or four, I'm going to say four years ago. And at that time, one of my mentors, what he told me is you should only read a book before you're going to apply it. Because if not, you'll probably forget a lot of it and you can get lost in a rabbit hole of just like consistent reading. Right. And um, I really took it to heart. So I would like not waste, you know, quote unquote, waste time reading unless I was going to apply immediately. And then I met this guy, Jay, and he was like, dude, reading is not just about like learning and like comprehending what the book's about. It's also about it creating like new thoughts for yourself. So and full circle with that book, The Intelligent Investor, it's although it's about, you know, finance and like looking at companies values and stuff you took it and because it built a new thought and you're like, well, I could think about this from a life standpoint, just like, you know, should I eat pizza? Well, let's look at the value of pizza. Right. <laughs> you know, And even that's like a funny example, but um, it, it, so now what I do, I just like absorb as much knowledge as I can, mostly audiobooks now, just cause I can do it passively while doing something else. And it's made the biggest difference. You know what I mean? So I don't know my, I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is like, you should, I think knowledge in general, yes, you will forget. I'm sure you do not remember everything in that book. That'd be no. crazy. Um, but it changed the way you think. Exactly. And that's even bigger than remembering a thousand facts. I mean, you can Google shit. So it's like, yeah. it's more about forming new thoughts. And then that leads you down different pathways. Um, and I don't know, once I realized that I went, now I just am on a knowledge tangent you know like or what like i'm just like give me it like whatever like i'll forget all of it but it'll re you know do you read so, is it you stick to mostly nonfiction, or do you read fiction as well good I've heard some people feel differently about that. yeah yeah so okay i've um there's some business people that i've interviewed and they have recommended fiction uh and i have yet to go down the path 
I am like all nonfiction personal development business right now, mm -hmm. but um, I want to try it. It's just hard for me because I feel like I want to like really get something tangible from it. And I feel like in fiction, it is more on that thought side. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's taking you to a new place. So I don't have you. Well, I, you yeah. know, I had realized in myself that I'm very logical. Yeah. And I'm very, I think I very <laughs> yeah. like, I don't really have much of an imagination in okay. like the most traditional sense, like in terms of a mind's eye. Yeah. Like what I see you right now, like I don't have a, like, I don't yeah. see things in my head. Right. If I think of a memory, I think of all the facts of the memory. I don't, I don't really see a lot of it. In yeah. My head. That's just not how I think. Yeah. And so it's helpful for me because I can always pull up details and data and facts. Yeah. But I'm the creative side is and the design side is the, is the piece of it that I am not quite as developed in. Yeah. And so when I, I love reading nonfiction, I, I always have, it's, it's where I'm yeah. most comfortable because it's all about facts and logic and yeah. all the pieces. But for me, the fiction is, is definitely builds a, a side of my brain that is not as active, which is that piece of, of forcing yourself to envision yeah. a scene that's not there. Right. And so, I, again, I don't know how you think. And maybe yeah. there's some. I think I'm a little both to that. But, yeah. but for me, fiction is good at developing a whole different side of my brain. And whether you're maybe yeah. as, as stage one as I am or if yeah. you're a little more developed, regardless, yeah. reading the fiction and, and focusing on details and how things look and feel in the moment is something you don't get from traditional books in nonfiction. That, and that's a crucial piece to innovation is you know, look at somebody like Steve Jobs, right? Had, had a perfect vision of, of all of these products that he was developing, a perfect vision of where the company was going and really knew how to sell mm -hmm. that idea to other people. I think a lot of that comes from, from fiction, not from yeah. fiction. I agree. Dude, say you're convincing me. You convinced me of something earlier today too with health insurance. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I can't stop selling. Yeah, it. dude, I'm fucking <laughs> sold again. No, I, I think I got to try. I just, I think I have like trauma or something around it because I remember being younger and everybody loved Harry Potter and I tried to read Harry Potter and I just couldn't do it. But it was also at a different time in my life yeah. where like, I cared about basketball and like girls right. like that was it. I was like, I was in seventh grade. Still I was the like, same for me now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> for me, actually, you know what? That's still what I care about. <laughs> no, but like, I just, I, I tried and everybody was just like, this is the best book ever. Right. And I remember picking it up in my room and reading it and being like, I don't care. I'm I was like, you. I'm with you. Um, so I think I'm just like scarred, but I need to, do you have, is there any that you've like read recently or? Well, you know, I, I like reading. I definitely read nonfiction at a much higher level than yeah. I read fiction books. Like I, if I'm yeah. going to read a fiction book, I honestly prefer reading. I don't know what the, the best word, but lower reading level. Okay. Of, yeah. Of reading just because it's, it's oh yeah, easier. dude. Okay. I like that was helpful. Actually, yeah. While I read to practice imagining. And so the, yeah. the, the longer the sentence is, the bigger the words, the harder it is for me to be less, you know, less present with it. Yeah. Um, but I love, I love Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, which okay. is, was a book that I read in high school that I, I really? really liked. I took Latin for seven years. I love Roman history. And that book's all about kind of mythology and Greek mythology. And this guy cool. is, is in that world or whatever. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I sometimes have to force myself to read it because I'm the same way that I don't, I don't really care about the story because it doesn't yeah, impact my life directly. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's, it's, 
I kind of have to shift my focus and realize that this, the conclusion of the story isn't what matters to me. It's more about practicing, envisioning yeah. things, and 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 focusing on details and being creative. And I think that also reading that kind of stuff does help my writing and speaking because you can be more descriptive. You can be more aware of the narrative. Yeah. Whereas with, with nonfiction books, it's, it's kind of easier to just go point by point. And you, your cha- each chapter is, a, is just a section of whatever I'm talking about. Or, or in yeah. my case, if I'm doing an analysis on the financial markets, it's just like, here's the piece about this asset. Here's the piece about, there's no you know, flowing yeah. narrative through it. Um, and so fiction is much more about that narrative, which, which is helpful for... You know, if you're doing a speech or if you're, you're talking to a group of people or if you're trying to sell something, you need to have that kind of cohesive narrative. Yeah. I think it's more present in fiction books than, than it is in. Yeah. Non-fiction. I mean, and I'm seeing the value because the more that you're explaining it like this, I'm seeing the value in it, which makes me want to do it more. Uh, because it's like it, with audio at least too. Like I almost, I want to start with a children's book with the pictures <laughs> and then I'm like, okay this goes together and then um remove the pictures get you know a little bit higher up there yeah, but I, I, just listening to it and then you know while you're in the bathtub or something yeah you just gotta soak it on man some epsom sauce and you're good exactly. um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> some lavender bubbles man let's yeah, go you gotta treat yourself oh man <laughs> so um <laughs> um no, but like I could see that actually really helping, like turn some kind of lights on that you normally are not activating. Think differently, man. It's yeah, what you just said about nonfiction. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a totally different type of thinking differently. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Okay, so I'm gonna maybe I'll try that book. Just gotta find whatever kind of yeah. random genre you're interested in. There's there's great sci-fi books too. I want to read some, okay. some science fiction books about you know artificial intelligence and robots and, that, and like yeah. spaceships and traveling to different worlds or whatever that, that I love thinking about space and, and all of that, those pieces. So some of those books may be interesting and you know, there's a yeah. lot of options, but there's one that went pretty viral. I think it was turned into a movie player one or something. I think it was called. Oh, oh I, I think one. Yeah. Ready yeah. One. Yeah. Play. It was a book first. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Read that. Yeah. That might be not a bad movie. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, I've already, but I guess it'd still work. It's, and it's different. They it's different. Oh, yeah. It's very different. Like, true. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same. Book people are always. Oh, I know. The book the was movies. better than the movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, we know. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I'm let shocked. me get, if there was a second book too, or a second movie, I'm sure the first one was obviously better than right, the second exactly. one. The yeah. sequel was terrible. It always works out that way. So I, I like to ask this question because you're definitely like a high performing just individual. So like when you are not working, what, what are you doing to like make your work that much better? Like, so I'm talking morning routines, workouts, diet, like just things like that. I love working out. I, I try to work out three or four times a week at least. I mm-hmm. can, uh, run a couple miles on the there treadmill yeah. and, then, and then do weight stuff. I've been focusing on the bench recently trying to get those pecs nice oh yeah dude <laughs> the peckers man <laughs> dude. i slow 
dude, so you know, everybody has like a different body type, yeah. obviously. So yeah. mine is a little bit more stocky. Like if I do bench press, I will get like, Oh dude, I'll get D cups. Like I, I, I can get the pecs, yeah. but it's to a point where like I've done it and I, and they've gotten for me what I like. Good size. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is too Training much. Bro. Yeah, I'm like, dude, my shit don't fit anymore. Uh, like, the, and, but there's some like I have some friends. I think you know, you know, Will Wister. I think you might. Have, he's from uh, West High School. Okay, well, he, he's got more. He's very skinny uh, type, and he, dude, this guy could work out all day long on his chest. Nothing. Yeah, I'm. I'm a, a little bit of a similar bone yeah. on that one. I don't okay. eat enough. I think to like actually bulk up. So I'm like, okay. Kind of probably muscle and. I got gotcha. you. Um, so I like working out. It's fun. Uh, but for me, I'm I'm just a totally social butterfly. So yeah. Like, I need to have a lot of people in my life for all sure. The time. Like I. So for me, socializing is. You know, we talked about this before. I do play yeah. a fair amount of video games. Yeah. Where, but I, I don't ever play alone. I play with four or five of my buddies. I get them all in, and we're just talking. You know, talking about whatever. I'm watching the sports game. We're talking about you know, the birds or whatever and, yeah. and playing video games, hanging out, collaborating. It's, it's productive in some regards because we're kind of, it's team building almost to a degree. So I enjoy that a lot to stay social. I try to, I try to go to, to I try to go out if I'm going to, yeah. I used to order a lot of Postmates and Uber Eats. Oh my gosh. I'm terrible. Super at convenient. <laughs> I'm so bad at that. But I've tried to force myself to stop <laughs> using it and actually go get the food. Okay. Because I end up seeing people or I socialize with the, the restaurant or whatever, just because for me, I need a lot of social interaction on a daily yeah. basis. That's, that's just, that's how I recharge my batteries. So yeah. in, in as many ways that I can get, you know, friends to meet up for, for, you know, every week we go out to, to this place for, for dinner or for drinks or whatever, and just meeting up with as many people as I can yep. is, is really the key for me to be at peace so that I can work all day and locking i feel you man and work with the same three or four people and, and do that which is great but then i i need a lot of other ancillary or peripheral people in my life to to bring new perspectives and i do a lot of phone calls too like i call oh, a lot of people like i don't love texting i usually will just call a friend and we'll talk for two or three hours we'll do this yeah except it's not recorded and it's just <laughs> yeah. like what the hell's going on in your life dude and then we just talk for a while and I try to get a lot of those into it's the, it's the personal connections that mean a lot to me. Yeah, man. I we're very similar. And I, I guess the, the difference is that with my work, I, I am talking to so many people. So it's for me, it's, but that's what gives me energy. Mm -hmm. But then at the end of the day, like I don't go out as much nearly as I used to, but it's because, you know, like tomorrow, as I told, I'll be doing podcasts all day. Right. So then I'll have like a friend, even at the office, like you want to do dinner after this? And I'm like, honestly, man, I don't even want to look at a person right now. <laughs> like I just literally yeah. talked to you know, 12 for people sure. for an hour each. Like sure. I'm spent, man. I want to go like hibernate, you know, back to the tub, you know, here we go. It's, it's always, the tub is always the answer. For the me. The that's, the, that's the ritual. But, but it is, it's interesting where some people, and I guess just introvert, extrovert, but some people really recharge like by themselves. And for me, I've even noticed that because when I was working at home before the office, I would get in that routine with that Postmates Uber Eats. And I would notice that even though I was having the phone calls a lot, like that's always been a big part of my routine just with work yeah. um, and podcasts. It's not that real in-person yeah. connection. Yeah. So I, I didn't recognize it because I get so caught up in work, but I would go weeks, man without like really interacting with someone truly in person. Mm -hmm. And I would start to like realize it just in like symptoms I would have of right. just like energy low, you know, 
and um, we're the type of people we need it. Like it's um, we're social butterflies, as you say. <laughs> um, and me, you know, but even more so now. <laughs> now that's a little joke with the way. I just like to laugh. <laughs> yeah, me I, too. I love. That's to why laugh. I love the podcast. I apologize. It's my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, so, like, are you doing any, um, like, any sports at all, or is it uh, like working out, video games, books? Um, you said you cook too, actually, sometimes. Like, sometimes. is that like a meditative thing? Or my mom is, is a chef. Oh, she's cool. She's trained and dude, that's awesome. Fantastic about that. And so she's always giving me great ideas for things that I can do that are easy, dude. And slowly adding them into my repertoire. It's, it's hard for me because it's a lot of work, dude. Like, cooking like, is a lot of work. Like I the, know. Thinking about the what you're gonna cook takes like 15 to 20 minutes if you're trying to do something new or like figure out what ingredients you need and like yeah whatever then you need to go to the grocery store which and and buy the, the items which cost money but but also like you have to go get it and like i'm wandering my way around the grocery store not like everybody hates me because i'm the guy that's like you know looking around like, Dude, like, stopping mid aisle <laughs> like you know, all these people are like god this guy like i read everything too yeah, and now that right, i'm like, like so onto my shit yeah. now i'm like what is in this <laughs> yeah so that you know so it ends up and then cooking time takes at least 20 or 30 minutes if not more so it's like it ends up being a two or three hour charade to make dinner and, yeah and it's a lot easier to to you know, either go out or to order postmates where i literally it takes me 15 minutes to eat and i can work yeah. a while or, or do whatever i want so I, I like to cook i'm slowly getting that involved um I do play soccer as well. Oh, cool. dude, Fortunately, soccer. Miami, the weather's great all the time. So yep. there's turf fields around me and, and I go down there, I just walk up and just play some pickup with random dudes. And Isn't there a Brickle? There's actually, a, I think there's a place that's on the top. The rooftop. Of a, there's a rooftop. I haven't there's, been. There's another turf one. Do you I play soccer? I, dude, uh, let's kick some balls. Dude, I would actually love, it's been a while. Okay, let me be clear. <laughs> no, but I, soccer was one of the best workouts I ever have because it's, I mean, it's pretty much just nonstop running not stop running with uh, an actual objective like that yeah was, I, I, it's hard for me to run just because there's mm -hmm. no objective yeah without music or audiobook for me if i was just literally walking or running like, without that or, yeah i'd be like whereas like soccer at least there's, hello <laughs> there's some goal and you score you get that you know yeah the, the hype adrenaline i love to win like yeah for fun, sure so. yeah i agree with that so scoring and winning is, is a good feeling it's a good yeah and physical so we should play some yeah keep me up to date on that because i well yeah. i mean now i obviously a little bit love live a little bit more north but i um i would come down occasionally for that cool. because yeah. i remember hearing about that league when i lived down there yeah. and um yeah it seems badass i mean dude i'm so sure the view is pretty sick too like he's you know? great the people yeah. are really friendly they're just yeah. like guys just like us that are yeah get off work and play yeah. some soccer like it's badass it's it's, some are good some are just there for the fun and like you know whatever and yeah we all have a good time uh, yeah. we're there to win <laughs> well, I'll, yeah, i'm always there to win. yeah <laughs> this is not fun i feel and they're like how oh, this guy again. <laughs> yeah. yeah just bring a bunch more people like you yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's exactly what they want for well, their league, right? <laughs> so um i like to ask this question this is a new question that yeah. i uh came up with so and, and I don't know kind of what your number is, but let's just say you sell, you sell your company, hundred million dollars cash hits nice. your account. Cool. Uh, what do you do next? What's your life look like? I wouldn't be able to stop. 
I would yeah. I would find ways to to put that money back into launching new companies. Yeah. <laughs> I love, you know, in tech and in startups. Yeah. It's dominated by the Silicon Valley mindset, mm-hmm. which is to build companies that aren't making any money, starve out their competition in whatever industry they're in, and then hopefully be able to charge a shit ton for the services they're providing in the mm-hmm. future. And that's kind of what it's a little negative way to look at no, it. No, no, but it was that's what I see. And, and that's how they've performed in public markets is that nobody really values a lot of these startups because they're having these insane valuations and they're not making any money. Mm-hmm. And so you look at you know, a company like, like an Uber or a Lyft or, or Casper Mattresses just tried to go public and failed. Oh, and really? Just tried to go public and utterly failed because nobody's making any money. And, and these are not sustainable or healthy companies. They're just companies that are losing a shit ton of money. I don't know if I can swear. But, no, you can swear. Um, losing a lot of money and they're just getting, raising, you know, another hundred million or another 200 million from venture capital funds to give them more runway to keep losing money to starve out their yeah. competition, right? How does, how does a taxi medallion compete with Uber when Uber just keeps raising hundreds mm-hmm. of millions of dollars to subsidized? Um, yeah. And so I've been very against that model. I don't like that model personally. Yeah. Um, I much prefer to focus on, on profitable businesses and then scaling them that way. So I love the idea of, you know, I've talked about this a lot with, with my co-founder and something that we, we really strive to do is to build you know, profitable MVPs of small businesses in, in whatever industry we can find that, that has an opportunity to take advantage of and build companies that make money. And then I would take that $100 million and then just inject it into growing that business and scaling that opportunity to continue to maximize that profitability and that health of the company, as well as you know, prioritizing not screwing over every employee that yeah. works for that business. Cause that's kind of the other side of it is that these companies aren't making any money. So they also need to wring out all of the benefits to the people. And that doesn't seem right either. So with, yeah. with a large stack of cash, I'd be more willing to, or I'd be more free rather to, you know, make sure that we're providing sustainable employment and sustainable businesses that benefit the economy instead of temporarily benefiting yeah. already rich people's pockets so no it makes that, sense that 100 million dollars would give me the ability to put some of it in you know to give me what i like to call you know for me i, I don't necessarily t- think about a number but i think yeah. about financial freedom for sure financial you know, liberty and for me that just means never needing to work again yeah and living a a nice lifestyle and not that I, I will work probably till the day that I drop dead, yeah. but knowing that I can do whatever I want, whether it will make me money immediately or whether it will be just a long-term project or a passion project, passion projects are the ideal, right? So if I can work on passion projects my whole life and not have to worry about money, that, that's, that's a, a great scenario. So yeah, put, put some of that money into, you know, sustainable living for the rest of my life and, and, and with my family and, and making sure that everything's good there. And then the rest of it is, is how can we build some really cool businesses and, and take some fun trips along the way, maybe do the Robert Herjavec and do the Ferrari racing team. Yeah. That'd be pretty fun. <laughs> nice. uh, something like that. But, but yeah. you know, for most of it would be, would be scaling businesses and, and building as many as we can and hiring great talent to, to help do it with us. 
dude, that's I, I think we would do similar things, actually. I, that's, um, I've always thought, and again, I don't know if the term's right, but I think uh, like venture capitalists or something, like I think I would really enjoy doing that, like just kind of meeting all these different founders all the time and just building relationships with them and then you know at the end they obviously have to pitch you because you're the one right. that's got the money but like i think that'd be fun yeah. <laughs> just like yeah. look and and be constructive about doing because even if they pitch me and i don't think it's a good fit to invest i even from a free just consulting way to me that's one of the funnest things to do like all, already we both are kind of doing that you know exactly. with the consulting yeah. that way um, so either way, I just think that would just scale it up to a higher where I could even put more time towards that and just be like, yo, I want like 20 startups in, in my schedule today and they can all call me and totally. ask me anything they want. I'll help them hundred percent, hundred percent for free. And if it's a good thing to put money into, I'll do it. It'd be so much fun. That would be fun. Dude. The value add investor. Like, when yeah. You, when you do choose to invest, you know, the, I think that the model you're actually referring to is, is actually called a family office. Oh, okay. So, Dude, I went, there was an event down here. Have you heard about? Yeah, I okay. I just learned what those are and I actually didn't know exactly what it is it because it's weird. Like it doesn't yeah. sound like a venture capital term, like a family office. Like, what? yeah, but a family office is essentially you have all your own money and you're investing that yeah. into, into businesses. Venture capital is slightly different in that they raise money oh, from investors and okay. they need to spend it gotcha. in return for their investors. So VC is slightly more corporate and a little bit less. Oh, I think I'm more on the a little less fun, <laughs> yeah. honestly, not to roast VCs, but no, it's, yeah. it's certainly more investment <laughs> banking and more like just high finance and yeah. some kind of stuff that you do at JP Morgan or whatever, but it's slightly applied yeah. slightly differently to smaller companies. Okay. Whereas a family office is, is a lot more of that angel investing is a similar term where it's kind of one person that's, that's investing and then a family office is more of a structure and the business is that same style of investing, but it's kind of your own money. So you don't have pressure on yep. getting returns. You don't have to pressure your, the companies that you've invested in to exit early or to have, you know, some of these VCs, it does seem like kind of pressure the businesses to make them as yeah. high valuations as possible, even if it's not sustainable because they don't really care as long as they can get their return for the investors. Whereas like yep. what you're talking about is I totally agree. Setting up a family office would be yeah. tremendously fun because you just get to work with founders and, Work on cool projects and you, That's you, know, you put some money into it. It's like you drop by. It's like, hey, how can I help? What intros can I make? How can I learn about the business? Let's, yeah, let's synergize. Have you heard of Family Office Club? I have heard about them. Okay, yeah. I went to their. Um, for me, it didn't make sense to like join the whole organization. Right. I at right. least I don't think so. But like, I went to the event. Um, one of my buddies, he actually kind of MCs it. His name's Andreas, cool. and he. Um, it was down at the Ritz in, where is it? Virginia Key, I think, or something. It was past Brickle, the key. Or maybe it was Brickle Key. I don't know. It was down there on a little island kind of. And um, it was a cool event. There was a lot of just like, you, you would probably like it is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of terms and stuff over my head, honestly. But like, it was cool to meet a lot of people. Like, That's the only way you learn, right? Is you got to go. And yeah, yeah. The only reason I know these terms is because I work in. Okay, yeah. I thought family office is like a newish. Is it kind of a new thing or no? I, I don't necessarily know the history. Of it, oh, okay. I, got it's not something that's. I don't think it's something that's, that's super new. Okay, got it. Yeah, but this guy just, I guess, the club, the he, club, like, put them all yeah. together. Yeah. No, and it was it's like, cool. you guys should all meet. <laughs> the, you know, I, yeah, if you can raise money, that's definitely the way to go, I think, instead of VCs. Because they, 
much more kind of on your side as opposed to VCs are more about making money. That's, that's yeah. nothing against that. It's just that's their business models. They need to make money for their investors and their investors are pressuring them. And yeah, whereas a family office is more like, how can we build some cool stuff? A lot of times family offices are all about you know, impact investing and things that they care about and they're interested in. And the same what you're saying, right? If you were to set one up, you would just invest yeah. in companies you like, founders you like, and and are inspired by. And it's like, hey, let's. let's yeah, I'd cool want things, it to be like no pressure on you to sell tomorrow. If you let's build a cool company and we'll, yeah. we'll build it as we go. And I think that's a cool. Yeah, like people I'd want to like hang out with. Like I'd want to do like I, I don't know monthly dinners or something with all the people I've invested with, or and something. connect them all together and yeah. explore synergies and. Yeah, because then it's it's not you know back to the GDAX thing. It's not just like watching the numbers. Because to me, that drove me nuts. Like it was like I I want to like be involved in it. You yeah, know? it's less personal that way too. So, um, look, I mean, last last question I had. We could obviously talk for hours, but um, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience? Like anything uh, just uh, related to your knowledge or like anything you got coming up? Um, floor is yours. Yeah. Well, we, we do a podcast as well on the security token industry. If you're interested in, you know, what I've been talking about, which is really kind of merging the securities industry or just any asset, whether it's equity in public companies or private companies, startups, whether it's real estate, any asset debt, any of these different investable assets we're looking about how to to transform those markets with technology mm -hmm. and so we we do a podcast weekly called the security token show where we detail all of the biggest moves in the the industry how it changes and develops over time if you're interested check that out and on top of that i you know i run a company one of the companies that that in our our group is security token market and at that on that site we have full updating pricing and all this kind of stuff, Yahoo finance style oh, cool. for oh, yeah. all of the security tokens that are live across exchanges all around the world. So that will continue to expand over time. So definitely check out the site or the podcast if you're interested in, in hearing more about the space and a little more detail. But other than that, reach out to me. I'm uh, pretty active on Twitter at Kyle mm. Sondland, S-O-N-L-I-N. And uh, let's have a combo. Done deal, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Tyler. The Authors Unite show is sponsored by AuthorsUnite.com. Your one-stop shop for becoming a profitable author and maximizing your impact.